0: Hello and welcome to Ringwoods Podcast. As your host Rosie Watts, each week I am joined by a series of authors, colleagues and guest visitors to discuss all things books and publishing. Welcome back to Ringwood's podcast. This week I am joined by Dr. Carol Margaret Davison. Thank you, Carol, for joining me. And Carol is one of our forthcoming authors. Her book is getting released at the end of May, Body Snatcher. So we're very excited to have you on today. Carol Margaret Davison, so that name to me sounds a bit Scottish. Tell us how you came to be on the wrong side of the Atlantic, writing about Scottish serial killers in Canada.
1: Well, Yes, it's a Scottish name, as is my mother's maiden name of McLean, which is Scots-Irish. My family immigrated to Canada in 1966. I was only three, my brother two, my sister one. My mother was originally from Coatbridge, and my father came from the coal mining village of Hart Hill. And we lived in Eastfield during the first few years of my life, which is where my mother had spent most of her life. And as my mother's maiden name suggests, which is spelled with an M-C rather than M-A-C, like many Scots, I also have Scots-Irish roots. And I knew that It was in my background to some degree because my paternal grandfather came to Scotland from Breshane in County Antrim. But I didn't realize my Scots Irish roots ran deeper on both sides of my family. And I was undertaking research on that history while I was writing Body Snatcher. So I found I had much more in common with Burke and Hare than I originally thought. And there's even a terrible story of homicide on my mother's side of the family, where my great grandfather, a 48 year old Scottish coal miner, had come over to Canada to work in a mine in British Columbia at the end of the 19th century. And just as he had saved enough money to bring his wife and several children over to Canada, he was actually killed for his money. His body was never recovered and it lies at the bottom of a lake, I'm sorry to say. It's a devastating story to discover in the course of my ancestral research. But back to the present day. I had tremendous opportunities in Montreal, which is the city where we emigrated to in the mid-1960s. Despite being from a working class background, I could go to university. So I followed my heart's content, Uh, loved libraries, loved learning. I did three degrees in English. My parents were extremely supportive, even though they didn't know what I was doing. I'm forever grateful that they were so supportive. So as for becoming fascinated by two Scottish serial killers, I had done my doctoral dissertation on the Gothic at McGill. I've even written a book since then on the Scottish Gothic for Edinburgh University Press that I co-edited with Monica Germana. I taught at various universities over 35 years, a lot of Gothic fiction. So for me, a Scottish-born Gothicist and wannabe Gothic novelist and radical feminist, who's fiercely proud of her working class background, Coming Upon Burke and Hare offered up a very special combination of elements. They were Scottish, they were serial killers, and they undertook their crimes at a point in Scottish history that saw the inception of working class consciousness. Not to mention the fact that the issue of the women's role in their crimes was extremely enticing to me.
0: Wow, thank you for providing all that information. That's so interesting about the connection of the Scottish-Irish. It's something I feel a lot of families share, but they never realise it. And quite astonishing as well that you only realised it very late down the line in the discovery of research for your first novel. Talking of research, did you have to do a lot of research on the book or was it an always heavily invested interest of yours, here. Well, there was no interest. I didn't really know much. I came
1: upon a book in the grass market in 2004 when I was visiting and I bought the book and I consumed it. And then I heard about the dolls and I went to the museum maybe a couple of years after that and was so Taken. They were compelling to see. So I'd read the trial manuscript. And from there, I went to a few of the most important books about Burke and Hare, all of which are listed in the acknowledgments at the back of the novel. The three most important books for my research were Thomas Ireland's Westport Murders. That's the book that I had come upon totally by chance, Serendipity. Then there's William Ruffhead's Birkenhair from 1921 and Owen Dudley Edwards' marvelous book on Birken Hare from 1980. And what I loved about Edwards' book in particular is that it contextualized these murders in terms of their historic moment and the criminals involved. He considered bigger questions, the poverty, marginalization, and desperation of the Irish who came over en masse to Scotland seeking work at that time. There was a tremendous amount of infrastructure being built across Britain during this period of the Industrial Revolution, and the Union Canal in Scotland was but one huge undertaking of that sort. And Burke and Hare both worked, along with Hare's wife, Margaret, on that canal. Now, Edwards didn't have much to say about the women involved because very little was known about them, especially Helen McDougall, all of which was great for me because it left a big black hole that I needed to address and fill. But Edwards asked the different questions about that murder. So his focus on contexts and motives and cultural prejudices offered a new perspective, one that opened some doors to my own examination of the story and the questions that I asked. For the purposes of other background materials, I turned to a wide variety of books on things like body snatching. 19th century Edinburgh, what was known as the anatomy craze on working class history and culture, on the labor movement known as the radical movement, on Dr. Knox. And that's when I came across Professor Lisa Rosner's book on him. I also read a good number of books and watched a fair number of documentaries in order to get a better sense of the mindset, the psychopathy
0: of the serial killer. You seem very enthusiastic. It's very exciting with all your research of Burke and Hare. It's very motivational for any other keen writers out there. Was there any historical fact that really stuck out to you has been engraved on your own skull? Well, I have to say I was
1: shocked to learn, just as Billy was shocked to learn when he took the first body to Dr. Knox, that the victims had to be delivered naked to the doctor. Otherwise, those people who were transporting the bodies could actually be criminally charged under the law and
0: not with the theft of a dead body, but with the theft of their clothes. Goes to show where their priorities really were. So, this exact moment of discovering the book on the history of Burke and Hare in 2004, was this in Edinburgh, you said? Yes,
1: that was in Edinburgh in the Grass Market. And that's where I found Thomas Ireland's book on the Westport murders. And that was, to my knowledge, the very first book ever published on that subject. So it was just serendipitous that I came upon that book. And I immediately read it and then found out about the dolls. They were fascinating. I saw them only, I think, online. And then I went to the Scottish National Museum to look at them up close. And what jumped out at me about them was that they seemed to be crafted by a woman's hand. My first thought was there was no man who made these. And I still think that now. And yet the little coffins seem to suggest that a man's hand might have been involved. So that got me thinking about the two female partners who were like a black hole. We didn't know anything really about them at all other than names and what role they may have played in the murders in association with Burke and Hare. Now I had tremendous difficulty as society did then and as we continue to do even now, reconciling myself to the idea that the women not only knew about the crimes and kept silent, but that they may have even participated in luring in and killing those victims. I didn't believe for a second, though, that the women were in the dark about what was going on. So it was a combination of things. It was the mystery posed by the coffin dolls and their relationship to the murders, because the coffin dolls were found in 1836, some years after Burke had been executed, in combination with the mystery around what the women knew, what role they may have played, that completely captured my imagination. And I felt compelled to take up my pen and to answer all those questions. And put forward my conjecture about the mystery behind the dolls.
0: So that's how Body Snatcher essentially was born. I can confirm you've done a wonderful job of it. I can't help but notice you're talking about the Edinburgh grass market, but also living in Canada. Have you visited back and forth a lot over the years or was it quite infrequent?
1: I visited a lot over the years, especially in my 20s into my 30s. My parents were very nostalgic around Scotland. It was like they'd never left Scotland. When they talked about home, home was not Canada. And you know that those two people have never even gained Canadian citizenship. It was like, you know, they would be dishonoring their country. And so they are still Scots. I have dual citizenship, and I have found that to be an interesting thing, to have that double identity, as it were, and to be able to see Canada through Scottish eyes and vice versa. And it's given me a a special insight, I think, into questions of perspective on nations, on people. And I think it's informed some of how I write and what I write about, especially in this book. So I, in my 20s especially, was trying to figure out my own identity In terms of Scotland, I I felt for a time quite upset with the fact that I'd been taken from there, as it were, against my will at the age of three. And when I got into my 30s and 40s as an academic and I went over to British conferences, I felt much more connected to the British academics and the Scottish academics in particular than I did with Canadian North American academics. So my dream is I retire in five years and I'm hoping with my whole Scottish tartan heart to get over
0: back to Scotland for good. That's where I would like to be. Well, we very much look forward to welcoming you back at the end of May. So the novel Body Snatcher, it delves into some pretty hard-hitting topics, domestic abuse to name only one. Did you find that hard to write about? Were there any challenges that came across in representing that?
1: It was extremely difficult to write some scenes in particular, especially the ones that I had to describe in detail when they involved children, the disabled. Women, the elderly, those who were especially vulnerable. And these were, in fact, the vast majority of Burke and Hare's victims. And I decided very early on, after I'd signed the contract with Ringwood, that a portion of the proceeds of my royalties would be donated to Glasgow Women's Aid. And it's my understanding that Ringwood will be partnering with them going forward wherever possible. And I'd love to do a reading when I'm in Scotland where donations could be asked for at the door for that organization. As well, when this book launches on this side of the pond in Windsor, Ontario, where I live and teach, I will be donating some monies to Hiata's house, and I hope to do a reading where I can invite people to make a contribution to that organization. What they do is provide crisis support and shelter for women and children in Windsor and the surrounding area who are fleeing violence and abuse. Thankfully, we've come a very long way since Nellie McDougall's time, early 19th century Scotland. Victims of sexual and domestic violence have publicly and privately funded supports and organizations like Glasgow Women's Aid and Hiatus House. But tragically, this violence continues. All you need to do is turn on the news and see the prevalence of this epidemic. And we all heard on the news over the course of the pandemic When it ramped up during that time, there was very little government financial support. And here in Canada, at least, that money has since been diminished or even been entirely withdrawn, which has forced some of these much needed agencies to close their doors. This should not be happening, given the tremendous need. And we need to do everything that we can to help.
0: I think it's incredible how you've written on a subject that's set in the past and naming all these issues with domestic abuse that... If you look in our present day, it's still there. And I think that's very alarming, particularly in the context of this historical novel in the 19th century, where centuries down and we're still facing the same issues every day. And it's incredible the way you address that. And we're looking forward to our work and partnership with Gazelman a too. So moving away from your upcoming novel, is there anything else that you are writing currently, if I dare ask that question? I understand you already have a lot of seminal work in non-fiction Gothic literature already.
1: Yes, I have a lot published and I'm very proud of it, but my dream was always to write a novel. I do have an academic work coming out at the end of this year with Manchester University Press devoted to the subject of Gothic dreams and nightmares. And I continue to write critical work, but in terms of literary fiction and in the process of writing a second novel called Malden, M-A-L-D-E-N, which is going to work in a similar fashion to Body Snatcher because it mixes Gothic and realistic fiction and puts that on the skeleton of history. It's set in approximately the same era as Body Snatcher, the mid-19th century, but it's set in this side of the pond in a place called Amherstburg, Ontario, which has a very rich history where different communities came together to live in the 19th century. People like immigrant Irish and Scots settlers escaped slaves from the United States, various indigenous peoples who were native to this region, alongside many English and French settlers and united empire loyalists who fought on behalf of britain in the war of 1812 it's got an incredible history it's about half an hour south of where i am it's also one of the most beautiful towns i've ever seen the book takes as its focus the malden asylum which was built by some of the asylum inmates 16 to 20 of them were brought down from toronto to build it and it was opened in 1859 And their medical superintendent was a doctor named Andrew Fisher, who served there until 1868, when he was summarily dismissed after the discovery of apparent irregularities. And I'm really intrigued, as you can probably guess, by the black hole offered by these apparent irregularities. So I'm in the process of conjecturing for my own purposes, my own dark purposes, what those irregularities might have been. So Malden is a mixed bag of as it were like body snatcher. It's a hybrid Gothic novel that takes up Victorian questions from a new perspective, what we would call neo-Victorian. It draws on history, and it allows me to explore various issues, such as the attitudes towards and treatment of those people suffering from mental illness, which is another epidemic we are seeing nowadays, in combination with various issues facing the young Canadian nation, which was then on the cusp of its creation in 1867, the year of our Confederation. And this fellow, Dr. Fisher, was in his position from 1859 to 1868. So his tenancy caps off this period, 1867. I have to tell you, though, about a fascinating connection that I recently discovered with Body Snatcher as I was conducting research for this book Malden. There was a scandalous discovery of bodies missing from the coffins of dead asylum inmates We're talking those who had died naturally during their time in the asylum. And as it turns out, those corpses had been illegally sold to the University of Toronto for anatomization purposes in surgical instruction. So this provides yet another horrifying example where vulnerable people deemed valueless by a society were violated and commodified after they died.
0: Wow. It all sounds so incredible, even hearing you speaking about it. You're getting so excited yourself. I can't wait to hear more about that in the future. We're also joined today by Simon McLean, our CEO. Simon, I will pass over to you.
2: Thanks, Rosie. And hi, Carol. I was listening, fascinated there. I don't think a week is going to be long enough for you coming over to Scotland to promote this with us. I'm going to make a serious observation. I got an email tonight because of our ties with Women's Aid here in Glasgow now because of Body Snatcher and you. And it shocked me that in this day and age, they have to do this. They sent out a message to all the clients, to all the women that are living this experience right now, not in 1827, right now, to say that there's going to be a phone outage in Glasgow over the weekend for a few hours because of maintenance work. All the masks are going to be down for a couple of hours. And they messaged it out to all the clients to say, if you've got a safe phone, then you need to know that the mast is going to be down for two hours and nobody's going to be able to contact you and you're not going to be able to use your safe phone. Now, that safe phone is obviously something that women keep hidden for emergency purposes, that if they need help or they need to get out or they need whatever, then they can use the safe phone. And that's in this day and age, Carol. So you're absolutely right what you say. Everything changes and sometimes nothing changes at all. But at least we're talking about it now and we're aware of it and we can do something about it if we all get together and decide to do that. So I've had my say. Here's my one question for you. This Canadian-Scottish thing It's very important to us at this side of the pond. If we had an international authors team that we were putting together for a competition and you had to choose a team to play for, would it be Scotland or Canada?
1: Scotland, hands down.
2: Ah, you've got to see that because you're coming here.
1: No, 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 hands down. Even when I watch any international sporting event and Scotland's against Canada, I'm telling you here and now, I'm on the Scottish side.
2: Well, I think we should do another podcast and give the opposite answer for the one we're going to use in Canada to promote the book. But that's the Scottish one done for sure, Carol. I can't wait to meet you on the 25th of May.
0: Oh, the feeling's mutual,
2: yes. (laughs)
0: Carol, once again, thank you very, very much for joining us tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure. And as Simon has already said, we look very forward to seeing you in the not too long future now for your upcoming book launch. I'm
1: very excited. You're very welcome.
2: Thanks, Carol. See you soon.